listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And for this episode, we will be discussing Black Sabbath's first official live album, Live Evil. Recorded across three dates on the Mob Rules tour, the album would feature songs from both the Ronnie James Dio era, as well as the previous Ozzy era. The album, though, is most remembered for being the album that broke up the Dio era of the band. Depending on which side of the story you hear, either Ronnie was sneaking into the studio to raise his vocals, or he was simply a victim of Tony and Geezer's drug-induced paranoia. Either way, it would be the final statement, for the moment, from this era of the band. Adding fuel and tension to the drama was the very recently released first live album from Ozzy, Speak of the Devil, which consisted entirely of Black Sabbath numbers. Despite this fact, Live Evil would stand as a snapshot in time of a band falling apart at the seams. Okay, Darren, uh, Black Sabbath's, quote, first official, unquote, <laughs> live album. What are your, uh, what are your thoughts, memories of uh, getting this album? You know, I didn't get it right away. I, uh, I was pretty, I was pretty content with Speak of the Devil. Speak of the Devil, as you know, came out, I think, a month before um, Live Evil, and that was intentionally set up that way. Um, and as we've discussed before, I was partial to Ozzy, um, the Ozzy solo band was more, I was more interested in that than I was what Sabbath was currently doing without Ozzy. I, I liked Heaven and Hell. I really liked Mob Rules, but um, since I had Speak of the Devil and I really, really liked that at the time that it came out, I wasn't really that interested in getting Live Evil. So it was about, probably about a year or so, back when my friends bought it and uh, and he really liked it and he was trying to get me to, to listen to it. And I said, sure, yeah, let me, let me check it out, let me borrow it. So I borrowed it from him and, uh, and again, I, I didn't put it on right away. I think it stayed at my house for the weekend and then I think I had to give it back to him uh, on Monday. So I, I quickly listened to it and right off the bat, uh, I was surprised, it, it, was, it was really good. I mean, we'll go song by song, but, um, I, I did like the version, the live version of Children of the Sea a lot. In fact, it, it made me go back and get into Heaven and Hell again because, uh, from the strength of the live version of, of Children of the Sea. Um, in addition to that, I, it, it got me into to voodoo even more. Um, it wasn't initially one of the standout tracks for me on Mob Rules after hearing Live Evil. I really got into that and then that basically live evil after I gave it a chance got me even more into the Dio era of Sabbath. Um, I was, you know, I was reluctant at first, 
definitely though i was i was intrigued by the cover art i mean the, the cover art is just really really cool it's it's well done but what's interesting about it is that all the images all the characters on the front cover represent a particular a specific song on the album and it was kind of, it was fun trying to figure out which character represented which song um the album itself i love gatefold albums i, I love live albums that have like pictures and they're, they're kind of like a uh, almost like a tour program of sorts so I, I like the inner gatefold with the pictures and everything curiously though um i didn't recognize jeff nichols at that time 1983 so i was wondering who that character was like who is that guy uh i had never seen the pictures of jeff nichols prior to that and i was also thought it was pretty curious that there's only one small picture of Vinny in the lower right hand corner there's plenty of pictures of tony and there's probably just as many of ronnie but only one small picture of Vinny, and i thought that was pretty strange um but yeah i mean initially my i i didn't really embrace live evil as the long-awaited black sabbath album it was the wrong lineup for me and it is about only a year prior that i really started to warm up to the dio era so yeah i was a little bit distant to it yeah for me uh by this point i was 100 in the black sabbath i'm pretty sure i had everything that was out at that point i had all the ozzy era stuff i had the the two Dio studio albums. So I was excited about Live Evil. This is before the internet. Uh, so I think I just walked into a store one day and there it was. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was, I'm pretty sure that I had Live Evil before I had Live at Last. So this was the first time I had ever heard Black Sabbath live. Again, this is before the internet. This is even... I'm not even sure if we had MTV at this point. So I was excited about that. Uh, I had it on cassette and the cassette of course had no information, no, no pictures or anything. I, I did think the album cover was really cool. I remember uh, thinking that was awesome. Like you said, the, the characters on the front, the neon knight, the war pig coming out of the sea like that, I thought was, mm. was really cool. And uh, I was really into it. It, it uh, I was just really excited to have live Black Sabbath. Uh, hearing the stuff like you mentioned, like Voodoo, for instance. Yeah, that sort of made me appreciate that song a little bit more. Of course, I already loved Heaven and Hell and, uh, you know, the song, The Mob Rolls and everything. But I liked the jam section in Heaven and Hell with Tony kind of going off. I've always been a fan of live albums that, that don't play it exactly like on the record that have something different yeah. about it. Uh, and so there was a, some of that, like with the Heaven and Hell uh, medley thing. Mm -hmm. I did have Speak of the Devil at the same time. And, and I do remember kind of feeling like, 
almost guilty or bad that I, I liked speak of the devil a little bit more because it felt I, I, I like speak of the devil because the set list was better, it, yeah. but it was all black Sabbath songs, which doesn't, mm. okay. I should be liking the, the, the official black Sabbath live album, but I just dug the set list better on uh, Ozzy's and Ozzy's felt a little bit more, live i i mean I, I do remember even hearing live evil and being sort of puzzled at how <laughs> how distant the crowd yeah. sounded on it i remember in my mind having this vision of like justifying this by saying oh well that's because they're playing a place that's so big that the audience is like really far yeah. away because the audience sounds like they're like a hundred miles away. So in my mind, yeah. I had this vision of black Sabbath in like Wembley arena or something you yeah. know, on like a big, huge, massive stage. And the audience is just like a football field away from the front of the stage. And it's funny because you can see uh, there's, silent okay for, for people that may not know this album was also uh, these shows were also filmed so they had the intention of possibly releasing a video and of course it was never released but you can see silent the silent footage clips of the silent footage and so you get to see the stage that they're on you get to see that this, the crowd is you know right up against right up against the stage they're not on like you know some some massive massive stage but as a young kid not knowing any of this in my mind i i just envisioned them you know playing at wembley arena or some massive place like that i remember being a little not quite sure of whether I liked Ronnie's delivery on some of the Ozzy songs, the song Black Sabbath, for instance, uh, even War Pigs, I was a little, I mean, I liked it. I, 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 but at the time, I was just so happy to have a live Black Sabbath album that I, I, I didn't care. I just liked it. There was a lot of music on it, or it seemed like there was a lot of music on it you know for a cassette if, if you remember the old days of cassette when you'd the double double album on one cassette you'd look at the reel of tape and it would look like there was so much stuff so it felt like oh wow man you know i'm getting all this this music on here and so it's an album that i listened to a ton a lot when i was younger and it's it's kind of interesting that as as time has gone on i've actually kind of the album has fallen out of favor with me a little bit. There's things that I don't really like about it. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that. And of course, and I'm sure we'll talk about this too, with, with other live concerts from this era getting released, most notably the live at Hammersmith show, it really made you realize like, oh, wow, you know, they, they could have picked some better shows or this album could have been so much better. And then of course, Ronnie left the band in short order right after live evil came out. And so that sort of put a little bit of a weird uh, soured it a little bit for me, because when I was younger, I had this weird thing. It kind of felt like I wanted the bands to, to stay together. It felt like for me to be invested in the group and for me to root for the band, I needed to know who was in the band. Mm -hmm. And as a young, naive person, I thought, 
I thought every lineup of the band was going to last forever. I thought Dio was going to be in the band forever. Then when Ian Gillen came in, I thought he was going to be in the band forever. Of course, that's not, you know, that's not the way the real world works in rock and roll. Uh, but I remember it soured it a little bit for me because I was kind of like, whoa, this is the team that I'm rooting for. And here, one of the, the main guys just left the band and it, and it sort of made me think like, well, what's going to happen now? And I was just totally so invested in the Dio era of the band. It felt like my era of Black Sabbath. You know, I wasn't there for the Ozzy era. The Dio era was going to be my era of the band. So for it to end so abruptly, I'm like, whoa, you just had two albums and you just put out this live album and now Ronnie's leaving. And of course, there was the stuff in the press about, you know, the battle between Ozzy and Black Sabbath, Speak of the Devil versus Live Evil. And then pretty quickly, Ronnie leaves the band. They're slinging mud back and forth at each other. And I felt like kind of like a, a kid and, a you know, your parents just got divorced and you're listening to your parents, you know, talk, talk bad on each other. And you're just like, stuck in the middle but i love you both you know yeah. you're sort of stuck in the middle of the whole thing so it's, it's it's kind of funny it's an album that i loved early on but but then i had sort of mixed emotions about it and as time has gone on it hasn't aged hasn't aged as well for me and it's not something that i that i reach for a whole heck of a lot one of the biggest obstacles for me was the um the, the old songs that Dio sang. I was cool with Neon Nights. I, I love Children of the Sea. Voodoo is great. Any song that was part of his era or that was on either of the two albums that he sang on, I was totally cool with. My only complaint would probably be that, and we'll get to this when we go through the track by track, but some of the songs are rendered very similar to to the delivery on the studio album. And there wasn't really much, not all of them, but but some of the Dio era songs were almost verbatim like they were like they were performed on the album. So that was a little bit of a disappointment, but not bad. But the thing that really killed it for me was hearing Dio sing Paranoid. I wasn't ready for that. Cause I just, I mean, I was still listening to Ozzy include children of the grave and paranoid in his solo set as well as on speak of the devil and i think i had a couple bootlegs ozzy bootlegs at that time one of them being bat's head soup and i had uh that i had on vinyl and i had a cassette tape that i recorded from the radio i think it was from i think it was from cleveland i'm, I'm not really sure i don't remember but i had two live ozzy's and and I, and I heard Ozzy perform Paranoid and Children of the Grave. And for all intents and purposes, barring some details, like, you know, who's playing guitar. But for all intents and purposes, it sounded similar to, to the Black Sabbath version. With Dio, even though Tony Iommi's playing guitar, and that's consistent, his voice is so radically different from Ozzy's. And he didn't even try to modify his technique to suit the original sound of the song to serve the fans he had to be flamboyant with it and he oversang it or he over enunciated yeah. certain lines and it yeah. made it even worse he sounds nothing like ozzy 
but the fact that he went in there and just like just overdid it made it even worse and that was a real obstacle for me to and you know and and the older songs the Ozzy era songs on live evil are kind of peppered throughout as long as we're on his era i'm totally cool with it i mean i i, I really enjoyed it in fact um you know there's a couple details about some of the songs the way that, that they're performed of the Dio era that i i enjoy more than the studio so that was a bonus but man it was just such an obstacle to try to overcome him singing uh, the Ozzy era and not every song was bad I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say any of the ones that he sang were particularly good but at best they were okay at worst they were they were awful and and I still have that opinion of of the way that he delivers the Ozzy era songs and I've heard other um bootlegs and other live recordings that I thought were okay you know I mean I can I can sort of get past it it's not too bad it's, it's not too intrusive but definitely on live evil and I don't know if it was because he knew that they were recording it and he wanted to try to you know ham it up a little bit but man I I just have a hard time with them I, I just uh that's yeah. that's my my big my big hang up with live evil and, yeah. and, I, and you know you and you and I talked off off the record prior to, to doing this and we we'd mentioned that there was quite a few songs from mob rules that they performed live that they either dropped or just didn't include on this album and man i wish they would have i mean you're not going to call yourself black sabbath and and leave the stage without doing paranoid or iron man and actually iron man dio's version of iron man isn't isn't bad at all it's, it's okay he doesn't doesn't overdo it but paranoid is just it's to me and i'm sure there's people out there that that like it there's probably even people out there that like it more than the aussie version like i can see that i mean i've heard some outrageous opinions i it's unlistenable to me um he it just sounds so foreign it's and and dio is just a completely different type of singer yeah. um he, if, if they presented dio with the music if dio was in the band you know from 1969 to the present those songs those riffs i mean they would have been completely different his his phrasing would have been completely different his melodies would have been different the lyrics would have been different it would have been a completely different song with some noticeable uh similarities but for all intents and purposes it would be a dio song so it's 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 such a different way for dio to sing I, I almost kind of feel bad for him in a way because it's so beneath his ability um, Yeah, that it, it just makes it awkward by default. There, there's really nothing he can do with it, you know? And, and I think he did try to, to say, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to perform these songs and I'm going to make them, I'm not going to try to sound like Ozzy. And some of it might've been pride, but some of it might've been just to make it consistent with the other material to try to bring it in. Why sing, you know my songs you know air quotes my songs this way maybe i can apply that to the earlier era songs so it kind of makes it not sound so so different in contrast so giving him the benefit of the doubt um but man there's just no easy way out of that you know the, his yeah black the, the dio front of black sabbath is so distinctly different 
from the Aussie front of Black Sabbath, it's really, it's like two worlds colliding and they're not compatible. And, and I don't, I felt then and I, I still feel now that they're not compatible on the same album. Yeah, they're just two vocal styles that are just so different. Ozzy is the guy that it's more about the tone of Ozzy's voice and his sort of deadpan delivery on a lot of the stuff. Whereas Ronnie is this sort of big, powerful, overdramatic uh, type of thing. I mean, for me, the song where that really sounds awkward is on the song black sabbath it's like ronnie just doesn't know what to do with all that open space (laughs) and he's just like over enunciating all the words and everything and i'm willing to bet that they even if you see clips like from the black and blue uh Mm -hmm. show ronnie has now put this out there ronnie james Steele is my all-time favorite heavy metal vocalist i think he is the greatest metal vocalist of all time sure Mm -hmm. but Ronnie had a habit of when he wasn't singing his lines, throwing in all these little things. Oh yeah. Right. You know, these like noises and singing along with the riff and do it. It was like, he couldn't step away from the microphone. And if you watch those black and blue things, it's like war pigs. Oh yeah. You know, he's just doesn't stop singing like the entire time through. And there's some of that on live evil. And I've read, I don't remember where I read this, but that Iomi making some kind of comment about them having to cut some of that stuff out. Because if you do hear Ronnie during that era, when he sings the Aussie stuff, it's almost like he doesn't know what to do with himself because it yeah. is, it's almost like Ingve Malmsteen playing an ACDC song. It's like, yeah. he has yeah, so good. much chops that yeah. he doesn't know what to do with all this open space. And you're right. It is. It's just kind of two worlds colliding and it's not really any fault of Ronnie's. I mean, there's some songs that like, I think he sounds really good on children of the grave. I really like Ronnie's delivery on that. That works for me. Uh, Paranoid. uh, I'm in the middle on that. I know you don't care for that one. Black Sabbath. (laughs) Yeah. Black Black Sabbath definitely doesn't work for me. NIB is kind of okay, but yeah, it just, it kind of sounds awkward and you wish that they had maybe made it had the whole, you know, maybe the, the bulk of the album being Dio stuff. And then maybe at the end you throw in the obligatory, encore songs paranoid children of the grave and that stuff but it should be noted we didn't mention this in the introduction that some of the motivation for this album was one the album live at last and and darren and i we did a podcast on live at last so you can go back and check that out for our in-depth talk on that live at last had been released to to, to put this in a very short nutshell their previous manager had gotten the rights to those live to those recordings and released that without the band's consent so it's not tech that wasn't technically a bootleg but it was not authorized was not endorsed by the band Mm -hmm. so i think that pressured the band into feeling like we need to get something out on the market the second thing was is that uh, the band, meaning the original band, had gotten the the publishing rights to their songs, control of that, which meant that they stood to make money 
by repressing or putting these songs out in any fashion. Thus, you get Ozzy releasing Speak of the Devil. That was probably part of his motivation. We did a podcast on Speak of the Devil and motivation for Black Sabbath to, to put out a new live album and to include some of these classic songs on it so they can get some of the publishing for it. But, and it's also understandable if they're thinking, okay, this is our first official live album. We've got to include stuff from, from the Ozzy era. And I I get it. It's just that, like you said, it, it sort of doesn't, uh, you know, it, it just feels awkward at times. And it doesn't sound like the band adjusts at all to Ronnie. It's not like they say, hey, you know what? Let's try to do something different with these Ozzy songs to make them sort of work a little bit more with our new vocalist in mm-hmm. his style. They don't do that. They just play it straight up the same way that they, that they played it with Ozzy. And I think that that also, but it is weird that, speak of the devil feels those songs feel more right on the song black sabbath the song paranoid and children of the grave and nib i can't remember if they even do nib on speak of the devil but you get my point they sound more legit on speak of the devil than they do on black sabbath even though on live evil even though you've got three out of the four guys or I'm sorry, two out of the four guys are there on live evil, but it's the voice, you know, it's all, it's yeah. all about the voice. And that's why the song black Sabbath works so much better for me on speak of the devil than it does on live evil. You know, I've read comments of people have posted that they said that they're more partial to the Dio versions of those songs because those were the first ones they heard. So their, one of their first albums um, was Live Evil. And so they heard, believe it or not, Paranoid for the first time as sung by Dio on Live Evil and NIB and Children of the Grave and so on and so forth. And then upon getting more into Black Sabbath, then got exposed to the Ozzy era and didn't like it as much. So you have to consider that too. It's really whatever you hear first. I mean, and most of us heard the Ozzy versions. You either heard it on the radio or when you were getting into, I mean, um, I was exposed to Ozzy solo first before I had heard the Ozzy-less Black Sabbath. So I went from Ozzy solo and continued to get fill in the gaps in my other sabbath albums initially the first one i heard was never say die that that tipped me off to ozzy's voice i liked ozzy's voice that made me want to pursue listening to black sabbath then that was before the heaven and hell with dio fronting had become a thing but people that were born a little later or people that didn't express any interest in black sabbath who didn't get into the band until dio joined you know, their their gateway to some of the earlier material was probably via Dio singing it. And, and, I, and I get that. It's it's odd. It's it's strange to think of it that way. But I, <laughs> I've seen some comments and people were like, well, you know, the first time I ever heard Paranoid was when, you know, I, I heard it on Live Evil and I heard Dio singing it. So I'm I'm particularly partial to his his version. I was like, wow, I never thought of that. 
oh my god that's horrible <laughs> but <laughs> you know it, it, it is what it is and yeah there's, there's lots of reasons to, to to like it when you compare a to b you know you can start to to point things out that are less successful about the way that Dio phrases certain lines. You mentioned his delivery in Black Sabbath, and yeah, it, the way he phrases some of the lines, it 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 just sounds awkward. He can't. He draws out the line too long. He doesn't. It doesn't diminish at the end of the sentence. It goes. Eh, it kind of goes out and up, and it's like, what are you doing? You you should have stopped. 30 seconds yeah. ago what are you doing you know you've heard the song um probably numerous i'm sure numerous times knows the phrasing knows the melody but yet almost defiantly took it into another place that i mean i'm going to say that probably 75 percent of the audience didn't want to hear or certainly didn't expect to hear so that's kind of, kind of strange that he went that route you know, and, and I would say in Dio's defense, it's Dio is such a strong, unique singer that it's almost like an actor who has a real identifiable character or voice. And no matter where that actor goes, he takes that with with them. And it's yeah. that's kind of like Ronnie. So it's like his voice is so unique. It's so strong. It's so one of a kind that he he's he's not he's not the type of singer that like when Tony when Tony Martin got into the band, Tony Martin was able to sort of move between these different eras very well. He could sing yeah. the Dio stuff. He could sing the Ozzy stuff mm. and he could sing his stuff, obviously, and make it work. Yeah. But Dio is kind of like that one guy that he does, he does him, he has himself, it's, it's a really strong character. Like I said, it's like an actor that's known for just doing comedies or just doing action yeah. movies, you know, and you identify that they just, they're just such a strong voice that, that asking him to, to play this part of Ozzy is just it's just out of character for him. It just sort of just doesn't, you know, it just, yeah. it's like a, use a sports analogy. It's like, he's playing out of position, you know, he's playing yeah. a different position yeah. than he's used to. He's an amazing quarterback and you're yeah. asking him to, to play, to be a blocker or something, you know, yeah. or whatever. I don't follow football, but so yeah, that's, that's part of it. And it is distracting. And I guess if you were somebody that just came in on the Dio era, you know, maybe it wouldn't be as bothersome if you had never heard these, some of these songs before, you know, it, it wouldn't. But again, with Speak of the Devil landing, I think Speak of the Devil, I was looking to see if I could find the exact dates. I couldn't find it, but I thought I remember reading that Speak of the Devil literally came out a week before Live yeah. Evil. So it was yeah. like, yeah. you know, the two of them landed like right at the same time. And so it gave you sort of a chance to, I remember that, I distinctly remember this. I'd listened to Live Evil and then I put in Speak of the Devil and yeah, I couldn't help, but I had just gotten both of these. So I couldn't help, but I'd listen yeah. to, I couldn't help but A, B them in my mind and compare them because they had both come out at the same time. It wasn't like they were uh, five years apart from each other or something like that. You know, it, it was. No, 
they're like right up against each other. So it just begged to be for comparisons to be made. And again, in the press, that's like all it seemed like that's all everybody was talking about when it came to these two albums was why did you put all Black Sabbath songs on your album, Ozzy? And, you know, Black Sabbath talking about Ozzy and just sort of this this war between the two of them. And then, of course, everything going sour with the uh, yeah. Yo era. It, it, in a way, it's, 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 uh, it, it's pretty funny because I think the way that Ozzy was pretty, and I'll say unceremoniously sacked from Black Sabbath, I think it was probably the foregone conclusion in the rock world, journalists and fans and, you know, the musicians involved and the musicians outside of the actual band. I think it was probably a foregone conclusion that Sabbath would continue to thrive in some capacity and Ozzy would either overdose or just sort of fade away and become obscure and his, the rest of his career, the rest of his identity would be as the former lead singer from Black Sabbath. And it's so ironic that it's exactly the opposite of what happened. Um, against all odds, Ozzy thrived. He brought himself up, became arguably more successful and, and not so arguably. I mean, in the U.S., I, I think that he was outselling Black Sabbath. I'm sure there'll be somebody that will yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, as far as memory serves, I, I think he was his solo career was it, it, if it wasn't more successful, it certainly rivaled Black Sabbath. And, and that was unexpected. Um, the other thing about the dynamic in the two camps is that Ozzy, where he was pretty much submissive in Black Sabbath, he was now the leader of his own band and he had complete autonomy to do whatever he wanted which you know he did um if a band member didn't work out now maybe it was management that made the decision but i'm sure he had some input but if a brand band member didn't work out they were gone someone else was was moved in and it was all about ozzy whereas with black sabbath uh and we, you know we'll get into this as we move through songs to songs they were still in the band situation although it was split in two because we had the only two members left of the original band were uh, Tony and, and Geezer and they were on their team and then we had the Americans you know the Brits versus the Yanks <laughs> you know and that that's a st strange and probably a pretty strenuous dynamic to be involved in so they Black Sabbath was really at the disadvantage um, as far as trying to make things work and trying to continue to make things you know move forward whereas Ozzy he was his boss. He was his own boss. You know, he could do whatever he wanted to. It was, it was on him, you know, something he didn't like something. Well, he could veto it. And it, that, that was that. Whereas there were still like the, the channels and the, the, the red tape of the band. And, and I mean, let's face it, Dio really came in and took, and we, we've talked about this pretty much ad nauseum, with the last two Dio era albums of Sabbath, but Dio really came in and asserted his position as the new lead singer of Black Sabbath, re-energized re the band, rejuvenated it, um, took control, gave it a new identity. So he was really, he quickly put himself in a very prominent position in the band. 
that in some ways made Tony and Geezer somewhat submissive to him. And I think there was probably, from what I've read, from some of the research I've done, there was some resentment toward Dio. And it wasn't, un, it wasn't unjustified. I mean, he did, he did a lot of work and he, he really did the band a service and he put them back on the map. Like we said before, the way things ended with Ozzy on Never Say Die, not so great. The way they ended at the end of uh, Heaven and Hell before Mob Rules was significantly better, and it was owed largely to Dio, how he came in, took control of the band, uh, asserted himself, his lyrics, his melodies, uh, his talent, you know, really drove the band forward. So, um, and, and that's one of the things that I think was, was made this album so problematic was that behind the scenes, Dio was well aware of his value and wasn't shy about it, you know, felt he could assert himself even more or had the, the right to assert himself. And uh, yeah, for all intents and purposes, he pretty much did. And so things started to fall apart because of, of that dynamic, as well as some of the old habits that Tony and Geezer were still uh, uh, engulfed in. You know, their, their old uh, lifestyle choices, that, that was still a play. And Ronnie and, and, uh, and Vinny didn't, didn't share in that interest. They, they were, you know, more interested in music and, and, and you know, continuing Black Sabbath. So uh, it's unfortunately what, what ended up breaking up the band. But, uh, yeah, when you compare Speak of the Devil, even though it's, I, I think we got I got into this tangent by response to you saying that you, it felt more like Black Sabbath. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it, it did, because there was much more of an assertion for the Aussie camp. Uh, the, the production was better. It was more control over Aussie's portion of, of what he brought to Black Sabbath was all about Speak of the Devil, whereas the Black Sabbath live album seemed to be kind of a... Uh, tentative situation between the original members of the band and the new members of the band. And it had less of an identity than Ozzy's solo live album did. And I think that was, that that's my takeaway from it anyway, if I had to compare one to the other. Yeah. It's like live evil had to deal with having, having to, to deal with two different, eras they had to deal with the ozzy era they had to deal with their new the new band the dio era whereas ozzy was just able to say okay this was my time in black sabbath this is a representation of my time in black sabbath and you know and it was ozzy everybody had written ozzy off he comes releases two successful solo albums and then on top of that to to just sort of stick his finger in the eye of black sabbath he says and on top of all this I'm going to release a live album of all Black Sabbath songs to show you that I can do it better than you. I, I can be successful on my own. Plus I can be Black yeah. Sabbath and be more successful. I am more Black Sabbath than you in some ways, you know? And, and so, yeah, yeah it's, it sort of feel like speak of the devil was a little bit of a, you know, a stick in the eye to, to Black Sabbath, but, but you had a, you know, you had mentioned the, uh, some of the things that went into the band breaking up. And this is one of those cases where depending on which side of the story you, you, sure. you hear, 
basically, it comes down to most likely no one communicating with each other. Uh, the story goes that Vinny and Dio already, uh, you mentioned the whole America versus, uh, you know, uh, Britain thing there. There was already that, that dynamic between, between them, which was probably causing some, you know, a little bit of Vinny and Ronnie hanging out together, Tony and Geezer hanging out together and a little bit of separation there. Uh, Geezer and Tony both admit today that they were, you know, in the midst of uh, serious drug, drug issues, Ronnie and Vinny not really participating in those types of, that type of heavy drug scene. I think they were just more casual, you know, probably smoke something here and there, you know, but not nothing as heavy and as serious as what uh, Tony and Geezer were involved in at that time. And so uh, they go to mix this live album. And as from Ronnie's side of the story, him and Vinny, would, they were supposed to show up at the studio at 10 or whatever. Him and Vinny show up. Geezer and Tony don't show up till four hour, five hours later. So they're sitting around. They say, pull up the songs. Let's work on it. They leave for the day. Tony and Geezer show up later that night. And they took that as, oh, well, they're trying to take over control of the record. And then, of course, the uh, which I forget who was the who's the person that engineered or produced this this live album. This, this travesty. Oh, well, actually, uh, it's listed as Tony and Geezer. So it must have been the the engineer, whoever was engineering it, you know, kind of overseeing this, I think, was also sort of playing a, uh, you know, a middleman thing like, oh, yeah, you know, Ronnie and Vinny were here earlier and they did, they said this, they did this. And then when Ronnie and Vinny would show up the next morning, the engineer would say, you know what Tony and Geezer said, you know, and sort of playing, playing yeah. the two sides against each other. And eventually it just led to, you know, it just led to nobody talking to each other and just the whole thing falling apart. But I think it was an accumulation of a whole bunch of different things. And like you said, Ronnie asserting himself more and more in the band and also ronnie had been offered a solo uh deal at this point yeah you know warner brothers had offered him which warner brothers was the label that black sabbath was on in the u.s and warner brothers had offered dio a solo album and so that probably caused some friction where tony and geezer were thinking like you know, well, what does this mean? You're just going to leave and do a solo record. You know, what is that all about? So that probably caused tension and, and probably in the back of Dio's mind, he was probably also thinking like, Hey, I don't need this. I've got a, I've got a solo offer, you know, sitting in front of me. I, I don't need yeah. to, to put up with this. And, uh, On the same and leads, label, yeah, exactly. So, so it leads to, to what it is, which basically both camps, uh, Tony, Geezer, Bill, uh, uh, Ronnie, and, and I, I don't know, I've never really heard Vinny express too much opinion on this, but definitely Tony, Geezer, and Ronnie, none of them seem to like this record uh, for all the reasons described above from the conflicts to the chemicals to, <laughs> to Ozzy yeah. and his album. It just seems like a record that nobody, none of those guys are particularly uh, happy with uh, but uh, you know I think for the fans there are a lot of people that again I was of that age 
that when it came out, I, I really embraced it. And it's, it's an album that, as I mentioned earlier, for me personally, it, it hasn't aged super, super well, but it seems like it suffers from it. One of the complaints that Ronnie has is, is that the album was, it, it wasn't really a live record, that it was Tony and Geezer redid their parts and came in and it turned into one of these things where they're just redoing so many things that it just sucks all the live energy out of it. And when you hear the live at the Hammersmith Odeon show from the Mob Rules tour, it reaffirms that. <laughs> that sounds like a live record. It's full of yeah. ton of ton of energy. Uh, whereas Live Evil is a bit sterile. It's a bit claustrophobic sounding. Like we haven't really talked about the mix, but the mix is is it is not that great you know it's it's whenever you have a one guitar band dealing with that in a, in a live mix is always tricky because what do you do do you put the guitar in the one speaker and the bass in the other do you put the bass in the middle like you would on a typical studio recording but then you only got the guitar in the right channel so what they landed up doing was just putting everything straight up the middle and so it sounds like a mono <laughs> record yeah. there's no like separation the drums the bass the vocals the guitar they're all straight up the middle and you mentioned jeff nichols jeff nichols is a guy that that, that you know we, we don't talk a whole heck of a lot about jeff nichols comes into the picture around heaven and hell uh during the heaven and hell era and surprisingly there's i remember too reading like jeff nichols who's jeff nichols keyboards it's like where's their keyboards on this record you can't hear it anywhere surprisingly uh the most recent reissue of uh mob rules the deluxe reissue that just came out 2020 i believe it came out there's a show from portland which is a radio broadcast and the keyboards are way loud in the mix, maybe to the point of distraction. But what was shocking was, in my mind, I thought, oh, okay, Jeff Nichols is just, he's behind the curtain, and once every 30 minutes, he plays a one, one note on the keyboard, and that's it, because that's basically, like, all you can really hear. You hear a little bit of him in Heaven and Hell. You barely hear yeah. any keyboards on Live Evil. But when you hear that Portland show from the Mob Rules Deluxe, there's keyboards in every song. The keyboard is acting like a rhythm guitar. Mm -hmm. So the keyboard was playing where there wasn't keyboards in the original songs. He's it's like a rhythm guitar. He's he was constantly playing and they just must have made a decision to just completely remove him from live evil, which I think was a shame. They should have now on that Portland show. I think he's too loud, but if they had mixed it more into the recording, it could have, fattened it up a little they could have given it some more stereo separation it would have given it you know maybe a a, a, a new taste a new flair on some of the songs some of the older songs. he even plays keyboards through the ozzy era songs so you can't hear that at all on live evil they completely removed him from those but it would have been interesting and it might have given it a little bit of what i was talking about earlier like taking the ozzy songs and updating them a little bit doing something slightly different with them but unfortunately the mix comes across as really flat and claustrophobic and you mentioned the audience the audience sounds like it's freaking 100 miles away so it doesn't sound like a live record and even in like when, when Ronnie is, is, is imploring the crowd to sing along with him in, in heaven and hell, you can't, 
can't even hear yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're not even. It's like they're not even there, you know. Which is it, so. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as though the album was unfinished. That's that's how it sounds to me. Now, I will say that when Rhino remastered the album, they they did uh, Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, and Live Evil, and also Dehumanizer. They did the Dio era, and they all came out at the same time. There is a noticeable improvement as far as um, the EQ in the 2008 remaster of Live Evil. Um, I was listening to it today and I actually a beat it. Cause I'm like, wow, this, this sounds a lot better. I listening to the 2000. I'm like, this sounds a lot better than I remembered. So I'm like, let me put my old, let me put the original master on. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's a distinct difference between the two. Um, I mean, it wasn't a remix, but the way that, you know, the bass is a lot fuller, it's more audible. The drums are like very heavy it, it, it builds into a little bit more atmosphere with this 2008 remaster than the original master, which definitely, as you said, sounds really flat, kind of claustrophobic. And you also, you can't hear the audience. I mean, if you really, if you really listen for it, you, you can, but it isn't something that is, is part of the ambiance. And that's the difference and not to keep citing all these comparisons between speak of the devil and live evil but that's one of the things that that makes speak of the devil sound like a live album Just, even though you know there ozzy overdubbed his voice and throughout the entire thing there is that you can hear the audience it sounds like a live album when you put speak of the devil on you kick back and you listen to it it kind of pulls you into that atmosphere live evil does not um it sounds like the band was in the studio recording the songs live and uh, you know that that's one of the things that i think is is the big drawback with live evil as far as the sound quality and that could have that should have been something that was as the production if everyone was in agreement and everybody functioned as a normal band went into the studio at the same time um and worked on the mix and worked on the production of it, it would have, the outcome would have been completely different. But unfortunately that wasn't the case. Like you said, we had uh, Vinny and Ronnie going in at a certain time and we had Tony and Geezer going in at a different time. So that was the main problem. And then in the state of mind that, that uh, um, Tony and Geezer were in, following hours later when, I mean, so, my understanding is that that Vinny and, and Ronnie would go in and they'd wait around for a while and, and uh, Tony and Geezer wouldn't show up. So then uh, they'd say to the engineer, well, well let's listen to it. What, what, what do you got? Put it on. Let, let's listen to it. Okay. Um, and then Ronnie might say, can you turn up the vocals a little bit? Let me, let me hear what's going on. We turn up the vocals and maybe Vinny would say, well, let's turn up the drums a little bit, but mostly the, 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 the foul here was Ronnie's vocal levels. And it, I think ultimately even Tony concedes to the fact that he probably got a little bit carried away and was a little bit paranoid. But uh, what Ronnie was doing was basically just killing time. He wasn't mixing the album. He wasn't going in there and like wringing his hands and saying, ah, ha, 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 now's my time. It was just a matter of like, okay, we're here. You know, this is a job. 
we're here to mix this album. The other guys aren't here. Uh, I guess I'll just wait a little while longer. But in the meantime, hey, why don't you turn the vocals up? Let me hear it. Let, let, let's let's see what's going on. And then uh, and they do that, and then they would leave. But nothing was necessarily mixed. It wasn't like Ronnie said, "Okay, print that," you know, or whatever you say in that situation. Uh, but they would leave, and then later on, Tony and and Giza would come back, and and they'd be like bugging out, and the engineer. Lee DiCarlo, I think his name was. And from most of it, the history of this album, he's referred to at least by Dio as the engineer. He doesn't even have a name. He's just the engineer. And Ronnie says that he was he was just drunk most of the time. You know, he had his issues too. And he was like kind of intimidated by the situation, I think, so that when Tony and Geezer would come in, you know, they, they'd say, okay, uh, did you see Ronnie and Vinny? And he and the engineer gets scared and say, uh, "Yeah, they were here earlier. Really? Well, what did they do? Well, they they Ronnie turned the vocals up, and he did. But it doesn't mean that he mixed it. He just he was there and yeah. you know waiting around, killing time. Hey, turn that up. Let's hear it. And so it's true. But you know, I think Tony's paranoia got the better of him. And and." In all fairness, I mean, it's consistent with the way that Dio was conducting himself personally in the band. In every and all other respects, Dio was taking a, you know, a dominant role in the band. So yeah. it was easy to assume that he was probably going in there and taking charge of this situation, yeah. too. According to Dio, he wasn't. He's like, what else am I supposed to do? I'm here. Vinny and I are here. The other guys aren't. What are we going to do? But then when Ronnie, when Tony and, and Geezer came in and they'd heard that Ronnie was, you know, raising vocal levels, well, it was natural to assume that he was taking control of this situation too. So really the whole thing was a misunderstanding. And unfortunately, it 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 messed up the album. Ultimately, yeah. it, it took its toll on the album. And, that, and that's a shame because it could have been a lot better. Um, the performances were, were good um, and it just needed a little bit little bit more work and i think it could have been a lot better but it ended up where it ended and, and that's what we got so yeah well jumping jumping into the album uh starts with e5150 which is a taped intro now this is a perfect example of uh where they went wrong here with not getting the audience in it if you listen to this now, E5150, they did not play that. That was played over the PA system. It was a taped intro. But on Live Evil, it sounds like they just copy and pasted the version from the studio version. Whereas if you listen to the Hammersmith Odeon show, when E5150, it sort of fades in. You hear the crowd. And it's like, Rah! and as it's yeah. playing, you're Sabbath, 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 yeah. you know. It's and, and, and it sounds like it's sort of coming off the stage. This, there is absolutely, I was listening with headphones. There is no noise around it. So it's obvious what they did was is they just cut and paste E5150 at the beginning of it. And then it goes into Neon Nights, which is a cool opener, but mm -hmm. it's just Real. a shame that again, you don't have that sort of build up yeah. energy of like the lights go down. E5150 comes over to PA system. People are chanting Sabbath, stamping their feet, clamping their yeah. hands. And then all of a sudden Neon Nights comes yeah. roaring out yeah. and the band's on stage. It doesn't, yeah, it sure. doesn't feel like that. E5150 is a great 
show opener, but it's just, it doesn't work here on the live record because there's no audience mixed in with it. It's such a missed opportunity. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they could have really, exactly the way you described, they could have just waited, they mixed that in. They, and it was coming to the PA. They could have had it so that it sounded like when you kick back or you put your headphones on, you're listening to it, much in the way that it sounds on uh, Hammersmith. Um, but it could have even done, could have been done even better than that. You could have been hearing a lot of the crowd noise and then uh, E5150 coming through, you know, and gradually building up until it slams into Neon Nights. I mean, that would have been perfect. And it you know, wouldn't have taken an incredible amount of vision to, to realize that, but it, it didn't happen. But it, it sort of does on, on the Hammersmith album. It, it's much, much more effective. Um, sequence on on that than it is here but um but neon nights um it, it sounds good i mean it, it's not it's not very different from uh the studio version so it, you know i'm I, I love the studio version and so I, I by default i'm gonna have to say that i love the live version too but as a live version i don't think it's very distinct and that's unfortunate but uh yeah it, yeah i mean for me it's it, it's like the studio version. The studio version has a lot of energy on it. It's not really a case of like, sometimes the live versions, you know, I think back to like, I don't know, you know, Blue Oyster Cult, On Your Feet or On Your Knees. Those add a lot of energy to those songs from the studio version. Kiss Alive adds Kiss a lot alive. of energy to those original studio records. You know, they're faster. They have more energy. Neon Nights is already a song that, had a ton of energy and comes ripping out of your speakers off the heaven and hell album. So here, you know, live it, it works here. It's a good album opener. Yeah. All right. And then they move into the first Ozzy song, uh, NIB. And I remember correctly, isn't there like a weird kind of like fade in the way the bass sort of fades in on this or something. It's like, uh, I'm guessing that maybe Geezer would typically play that little bass solo before it. And then he starts playing the riff to NIB. I just remember that it has sort of an awkward sort of the way it starts or something. It like fades in or something kind of, kind of, there's like a super quick little fade in or something. It sounds like an edit. It, it, yeah. It sounds like an edit. Um, but otherwise, I mean, it's, it's fine, you know, but yeah, you're right. There's something noticeable about it and, and i think it's an it's an edit between neon nights and the beginning of nib and probably because it wasn't i'm gonna go on record as saying it it probably wasn't the actual sequence from the yeah. live show so there was an edit uh, yeah and it's it's okay you know we, we've already talked at length about ronnie's delivery on the aussie stuff and you know yeah, I mean, NIB is, is the first one, and, and this is where we introduced the Ozzy era, and it's not bad. I mean, it's it's not, it doesn't sound like Ozzy, but Dio, he's not too flamboyant on it. He's sort of in the pocket here, you know, delivers it well, sounds different, but it works for the song. I like it. I don't have a problem with NIB, with Dio singing NIB. Um, Moving on, though, Children of the Sea, I'm going to say right now is pretty much the highlight of the album for me. Um, most of it is verbatim of the studio. Um, there's a lot of clarity. I think there's a lot of um, 
uh, Tony's guitar playing sounds very articulate, but man, I love the way Dio delivers that last chorus where he takes the second half of the very last chorus and he goes up an octave. It's so dramatic. It's yeah. so epic. And when he does that, and we, we reference when he does a lot of these inflections and ad libs and things like that. And sometimes you, you know that he's flying by the seat of his pants, but he's in control of his voice. I think he is confident of what he can do and when he's in the moment when he goes for it it, it it there's magic and i think that's what happens here on children of the sea and that's what i wish i could hear more of on the south things like yeah. that because yeah. when, he, when he does that man he just knocks it out of the park and it's like you i mean i feel it i mean even today i was listening to it and i'm like yeah I, I still love that when he you, you know what I'm talking about yeah yeah absolutely. Second half of that last course well, yeah yeah it goes up higher and yeah oh man it just sounds it sounds fantastic yeah yeah this one totally works live it's and it's a real Dio showcase uh it, it shows off that's that softer side of Dio's voice like at the beginning of the song his more intense epic side of his voice it's just a song that he really really sells this and whenever i hear this song and like on this album you can just totally picture ronnie in that stance with his yeah. hand out and the sleeves on his on his shirt and just yeah. real commanding i mean he just really uh he owns that one and it's it's a great great song and yeah the whole band sounds great on it so it's yeah. fantastic you know, as is voodoo. We mentioned voodoo yeah. earlier, and that's that's one that seems to, you know, maybe if there's one that I'd say that does come to life a little bit more than the studio recording, it might be voodoo. Yeah. It's a little bit faster. Yeah, it drives a little bit harder. Is a little bit more, tad bit more energy to it. Mm -hmm. you can tell there's Ronnie has a, has a lot of uh, energy uh, in his vocal delivery of it. Yep. Works right. really, really well. There, it is paced a little differently, but but even in addition to that, there's that part where it kind of plateaus, and Ronnie, it's an extended version around the middle, and Ronnie's, you know, he's kind of singing, you know, you hear the drums and bass, and I, it, it's it goes into the extended part, and you know, Ronnie kind of ad libs a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit jammed out that works it it makes it sound a little more organic it definitely gives it a, a very live sounding yeah that totally works right there because he's doing the whole like evil looks in your mind you know he's sort of <laughs> ad libbing and yeah. and that's a little bit of a throwback to you know he did that all the time with rainbow yeah He'd get to the middle of the thing ronnie would riff and and blackmore would play a little counter line yeah, off of them. Yeah. You know, that's something that Ronnie took with him through rainbow black Sabbath in his, in his own band. He likes to do that, you know, where it sort of breaks down for a second and he's just sort of riffing and, and ad libbing. And that, that's a spot where, yeah, again, it, it, it totally works. And, and uh, Vinny, Vinny Apice really shining, you know, in, in one like this here, just a real heavy driving in that middle section you're talking about. He's kind of getting almost funky, you know, it's, it gets mm -hmm. almost funky for a few for a few moments there. And yeah. uh, it's cool. And again, this goes back to <clears throat> I always liked live albums that 
it felt like there was something different when they do something different with the song, like here in Voodoo, there's that little middle section there that it, that's a little bit different. I mean, that's cool. That to me, I don't want the band to play it exactly like the yeah. album. And yeah. I want to hear the band do something different. I want to hear the solo be a little different. I, you know, maybe extend a section out or do, do something uh, yeah. different with it. And this is a, this is a good example of that. You know, they just add that little bit of a different, that little thing in the middle there and it just sort of gives it that gives it a live feel you know yeah. that makes it this is like one if, if i were to if i were to pick moments on the record that that do have a real live feel to them this would be this would be uh one of them yeah yeah for sure um so side one i think is pretty successful overall there i i mean we pointed out that there's a couple of little little weird things, you know, the um, the, the placement of E five one five O, how it kind of it sort of fizzles out a little bit. It could be could be better in concept. They could have done more with it, but okay. Um, Neon Knights is cool, you know. Not a lot about it is different from the studio version. NIB is fine, but when we get into Children of the Sea and Voodoo uh, back to back, those two are really successful on this album as far as like bringing in the live element and, and giving you know giving these songs a sense of purpose on the album so yeah so I, ending side one i think uh, with voodoo pretty strong i think it would have been a much more effective if they had maybe dropped nib either out of the set list or drop it down to the end of side one so you would have come out with this strong neon knights children of the sea voodoo that would have been a really strong intro and then you could have nib and then side b then is all aussie songs so then you would have sort of you would have packed your Aussie song sort of in the middle of the show, if you will, you would have had NIB and then side two starts with Black Sabbath, War Pigs and Iron Man. Maybe that would have helped with, with the flow of the whole thing, because here now we're getting into, especially on side B here, the record of Black, the song Black Sabbath, I talked about it earlier. This is my least favorite probably song on the album and mostly because of Ronnie's uh, it just doesn't Ronnie feels awkward in this war pigs kind of works uh, we'll talk about Iron Man but so God what's what's your thoughts here with with side B all right well Black Sabbath I think musically and this includes Vinny I like Vinny's I like the way Vinny plays to it it's not exactly the same as Bill um when things you know in the beginning the bombastic beginning yeah um, the slow tempo drums um it, it, it sounds good it's what you want to hear it's what you expect to hear it's what you need to hear when this song is performed live um, what i like and and to me the, the the main attraction to this song is is vinnie's playing I, I really like the way when it levels out and the verse comes in. I like what Vinny's doing. I like what he's doing with the high toms and, and the dynamics that he, he has going on. So so I'm pretty content with that. Uh, and we talked about it earlier, though, the downside, the way Ronnie sings it. I think if he just held back a little bit and wasn't so flamboyant with it, I, I think it would have been a lot better. It just goes over the top, kind of ruins it for me. 
Um, the phrasing is is just strange. Like he doesn't diminish the the, the line at the end of the phrase. He just kind of like carries it on. It's like, where are you going? It's almost like he's figuring it out as he goes along. And, and that's not Ronnie. And I don't know why he's doing that. I, I think probably just to do it differently so that he puts his own stamp on it and it doesn't work. Uh, but everything else is on point musically. Uh, the vocals were better. I think we did, I think Black Sabbath would be a success. It's the vocals that it's the only element that I think really brings this, this down. This is wrong. And it also has that guitar intro. I yeah. owe me by himself, which again, my first, this, this would have been my first live Black Sabbath album. I thought that was super cool. That, that evil dissonant sounding guitar yeah. intro that I only plays at the beginning of this. I thought was just, I loved it. You know, now we know that that's something that, that Tony had been doing since, you know, the very beginning of yeah. the band, that little spotlight intro thing. But to me that picked guitar intro thing at the beginning was just super, super cool. Again, adding to the like, you're getting something that's not on the, the studio album. So I, I did like that. I thought that that was. Yeah. No, uh, I like super that too. Cool, super cool. Thing. So yeah, it's so close to being great, but it's just, and, and it's weird to say because Ronnie usually will come through and like always deliver the goods, but man, I, he's, he's, he's the reason this, this doesn't sound right. I mean, he's the only, he's the only bad variable in this version of black sabbath to me anyway yeah yeah it's unfortunate though um so moving ahead to war pigs same same thing music's on point uh it's not any better than any other live version it's no worse it's there um it's pretty much verbatim to a studio version um but again it, it it's ronnie that oversings it. he's too flamboyant he tries to take it in a different direction. Yes, we know you're a better singer than Ozzy, but just back off a little bit because we want to hear it sort of the way we're used to hearing it. You yeah. know, don't make it. Don't, in a lot of these songs, his his versions of these Sabbath songs almost become like a vanity project. It's like serve the song, do it for the fans. Don't you know make it about you don't make it like well look what i can do look what i can do with this song look how much better i'm singing it well you know what maybe technically but not really you're not really serving the song we've heard these songs for up to this point like, like you know 10 years or so um just you know keep it consistent you want to take liberties on songs take liberties on the songs that you were involved with writing you know, yeah, and this is this part is of one. you invested in that. It's easier for you to do that. Yeah. You're taking something else that someone started. It's really hard to, to make it yeah. better. And this is one where, like, in the da da bam bam bam, he's doing like those "Come on, I take you away." Yeah. yeah, you know, he's throwing in all these extra little things, and I don't mind that sometimes because he usually his placement of that stuff yeah. is pretty on point. But man, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, you know, it's strange. And again, the way he articulates like the lines, like instead of generals gap, it's generals. <laughs> you know, he like yeah. sings the first word, like really generals, like in a different like accent or something. And so it makes the line sound yeah. really kind of, uh, kind of strange. 
it's frustrating to listen to. And you know, we we mentioned Tony Martin briefly, you know, a while back, and and that was one thing that I give him a lot of credit for. It's like he, when he was in the band, and it, it's it's a it's good and bad. I I often reference the fact that I I think that he wasn't assertive as he should have been. But man, there's a happy medium. He didn't quite reach that happy medium. Over the top is is Ronnie in Sabbath. On the opposite end of the spectrum was, I think, Tony Martin. Tony Martin could have been more assertive and reached a happy medium. But when he sang the Ozzy, when he sang either the Dio or the Ozzy, he served the songs. You know, you want when there was that that phrase, that that cadence or something that, you know, you expected to hear. He delivered it because that's what we want to hear. It's part of the song, you know. Yeah, and and Tony he would do that, and 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 that's the way it should be. And I really wish Dio would have done that. Um, you know, he could have impressed us more by serving the song and maybe singing the lines just the way that if he kept the same phrasing and it, as much of the same intonation as possible, even though his voice is different, it might have actually sounded better. But we don't know because he tried to change it too much and modified it, and then change the song in a bad way yeah and you know i will say though that vinny uh vinny's drums on war pigs it's it's kind of fun hearing him play this song because oh he's he's uh he's a guy with such a big sound and listening to him sort of handle a lot of these fills and everything i think is is pretty cool and i i think that's something uh it's interesting. And you mentioned him in the song Black Sabbath, his different take on that and sort of Vinnie Apice's take on War Pigs, I think is, is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think he does a good job. And um, and as an aside, you know, when it all went down, uh, I heard read recently that, you know, years after the fact, you know, Vinnie was like, hey, man, you know, it's really those guys you know, it was the parting of the ways mostly between Ronnie and the other two guys. He's like, but I was friends with them, you know, when we were working together, we all got along. He's like, but then they, you know, they kind of left me out in the cold. And I, and I guess like, I get it. I, you know, I was on, I was with Ronnie and, and then because they had, you know, problems with Ronnie, well then by default, I kind of got, you know, the brunt of that too. But I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate because I think, you know, Vinny is a pretty significant player on this album. I mean, his drums are very noticeable. They're, they're, they're where they should be in the mix. Um, I think they contribute to the overall. One of the good things about the mix of the album is placement of the drums. And uh, all he gets, as far as the credit, is special thanks below <laughs> yeah, Death It's kind of like a parting shot at, That's a at, at Vinny, who was a poor, innocent guy. Like he was just oh. sort of the guy in the middle and they get, get sort of get this parting shot at Vinny with a special thanks. And they also get a last dig in at Ronnie by, by Ronnie Dio, you know, which he never lists himself as Ronnie Dio. It's always Ronnie James Dio. So just, just a little bit of a, you know, childish, you know, thing yeah. there at, at the end. And it just shows you that, that they were already out of the band there even before the album came out because when they were doing the credits for it they that shot at them and, and war pigs also has a drum solo on the yeah. end of it and you know i gotta admit that i'm not a big fan drum solos live are fun but on a on a recording it's not really something that 
I want to listen to over and over again, but War Pigs does at the end of it have, you know, some Vinny doing like an unaccompanied drum solo thing. So yeah. because that's kind of cool. All right, Iron Man. Now this is another one where uh, I never, and okay, here, we're going to be fair here. I'm going to dump on Ozzy with this one too. I wish that people would just not sing, you know, on the original recording, there's that robot effect on the vocals. I am Iron Man. I wish nobody would sing that. I hate when Ozzy does tries to tries to do it. I really don't like what, what Ronnie does with it. I am Iron Man. It just sounds I, I never liked it. I never liked when anybody tried to do that. Just let it go. Let the crowd sing it or something, you know, no singer should try to do it because it just doesn't seem to work for anybody. But, uh, you know, this is kind of in line with the other ones. It's it's kind of cool. Uh, it It is what it is. You know, the band sounds good. Ronnie sounds decent on it. There's also parts in this where it, it kind of feels like he doesn't know what to do with himself because it's such a straightforward vocal line. You know, whereas the typical stuff that Ronnie would sing over a song would be more involved than this. So he feels a little not sure what to do with himself, but I guess it works. It's fun. The ending of the song sounds cool. I think Iomi's guitar, Iomi's lead tone on this i think is pretty cool he has a real metallic cutting yeah. uh, bright lead tone and the end of this song when everybody's jamming out and he's doing his you know doing those types of things yeah. i think it sounds pretty cool so yeah I, I put this one behind uh nib it doesn't bother me i i think uh dio's delivery is 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 pretty good i mean he doesn't go over the top um it, it you know it works it's okay i mean but it's Iron Man, you know, I mean, it's not, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I, I think I liked way back when, when I first got paranoid, I, I liked Iron Man a lot um, over the years. Is it aged that well? I don't dislike it. It's not a highlight for me. It's not a song that I look forward to hearing, you know, anytime I've seen Sabbath live, I didn't, I wasn't there like, you know, like Iron Man, my Iron Man, <laughs> you know, but so, no, I know what you, you mean. Know, I'm, no, not, I'm not a huge fan of Iron Man to begin with, but Dio doesn't he doesn't mess it up. He 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 keeps it consistent and it it it's where it needs to be and it's cool, you know, but it's Iron Man. What are you gonna do? One last comment on War Picks. I like that Vinny Apice, the little drum thing he does at the beginning. Yeah. Oh I thought that was that was I like that too, yeah. All right, side C, then we've got the mob rules. And oh, just a weird little note. My cassette version of Live Evil, for some weird reason, Iron Man like faded out at the end of side one and faded in on the side two of the cassette, like just like the end of the song or something. It was totally weird. And I remember thinking about that and I remember wondering if my mind was playing tricks on me. But when I was doing researching this, I read that that was the case that Iron Man faded out at the end of side one and then faded in at the beginning of the second side of the tape and it was just some lazy thing they wanted to try to keep the length of the tape you know a certain length or something so they chopped off like the last 
I don't know, minute of the song or something like that. Just totally bizarre. But side yeah. C, which would be side two of the cassette, then opens with the mob rules. Uh, it's interesting because you can hear a tiny, the very last second of E5150. So that makes me think that this was the opening song to the show. So you just hear that little tiny little bit of uh, E5150. Yeah. But this is a cool one. This this one works really well. It's it's got a lot of live live energy to it. It's already a song that's that's super super energetic, and uh, mm-hmm. this is cool. I I always I liked it. I thought it sounded great. Yeah, I it, I love the song. I, I don't think it's 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 I don't really think it's that much better than the studio version. It certainly isn't worse. Um, it's there, you know. And uh, I mean, the differences are the way that, I mean, Dio's a little bit more, he's more into it. Uh, the music is pretty much verbatim. I mean, there's not a lot of, there's, there's really no variation between this live version and the studio version, but I think Dio's delivery is a little bit more, uh, there's more energy, you know, phrasing's the same, but the emphasis, the way that he sings is a little different. So it gives it somewhat of a live feel you know the way that it should so it's cool all right and here's probably the highlight of the album for me is heaven and hell uh i like the uh, the beginning of it ronnie does that back and forth with the audience although disappointing because again the audience sounds like they're a football field away but that whole thing he does with the there's a little black shape looking down at me (laughs) it says i know where you know it's yeah. like go away! I'm gonna burn it now with all of you. With you and you and you. <laughs> and, you. Yeah. and you can just totally picture Ronnie in that stance, yeah, you know, pointing with you and you and all of you. Yeah, you know. And as as a kid, of course, this is you know the era of heavy metal being so evil and everything. I remember having to turn that down so my parents wouldn't hear that part in the, yeah. in the song. You know, it seems so wrong of ronnie to be i'm gonna burn in hell with all of you you know there's a big black shape looking down yeah Uh, just uh, that that's really cool and this sort of to sing along with it and and then the way it uh iomi has his solo in solo in the middle of it which maybe it's a little long but it's it's kind of cool there's some cool spots in it where he where he instead of just playing single notes he actually plays like there's a spot in it where he plays like a like a riff like some power because of down 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 this weird kind of little yeah riff thing and then it segues into sign of the southern cross i always thought it was weird again this because there's no crowd noise it's like it just sort of stops and like even when iomi's soloing if they had done the right thing you would have had the crowd sort of yeah come up at times like yeah you know but there's none of that and it just sort of ends and there's nothing and then he starts playing the sign in the southern cross riff and it's just so anti-climactic like if there was crowd noise there you would have had his solo end and there would have been all this clapping and then all of a sudden sign of the southern cross would have started and then the crowd would have gotten even louder and it would have been i know know, really going crazy but there's just none of it it just sort of goes into it but Sign of the Southern Cross is cool. It's a little disappointing the way it's sort of heaven and hell is 
broken up into like a melody form. I've never been a medley form. I mean, I've never been a fan of that. This is something that Ronnie would take with him in the Dio solo band where he would do these medleys where he would do pieces of songs and put them together. I was never a fan of that. It's like, mm. I want to hear the whole song. So it's disappointing that you don't get all of sign of the Southern cross. And it's disappointing yeah. that heaven and hell is sort of broken up like this, but yeah. So with heaven and hell, um, yeah, it's cool. Um, in, in some ways it works. In some ways it does have kind of a live feel. I'm not a fan of that, of Tony's guitar solo, man. There had to have been a better night or a better take at a, at a different show that he could have taken. I mean, it, it, it sounds really, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it. it not, not really that great. I it's guess. sloppy it's a little it's, sloppy it's, it, they should have done what when you listen to them from the 70s there was more interplay between the band it was like a the band would jam for a little bit like everybody knows from live at last the uh sometimes i'm happy thing with us yeah. you know the band when when it was iomi solo section the band would jam for a little while then iomi might play by himself and then the band would jam a little bit more you know and they should have done something more like that like that this is just like everybody drops out drops it's out. too long and like you said when iomi i i Okay, Tony Iommi, one of my top favorite guitar players of all time, the greatest riff writer ever. Yeah. But when Tony tries to play really fast, just like fast notes, he doesn't have the technique for that. No. So you get this sort of like, like jumbled sort of yeah. messy thing. Iommi is at his best when his solos are like riffs into themselves, like yeah. in War Pigs, da 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 da, da or NIB, da da da, whatever, you know, all those, those types of solos where he's playing more melodic lines where he's just trying to play fast it just sounds messy and, and it's like tripping over itself yeah, and that, exactly. that's what i came away with it's not it's not articulate it, it's it's you know i mean i'm not a guitar player i, I think i i think that's, i think i say that every single time <laughs> i reference a guitar part but um what i what i mean by that is i'm not a guitar player so impress me with something you know i mean I don't have the insight as to how things are done, but I can appreciate when something sounds good and, you know, impress me with that. You know, give me some melody, give me some good phrasing. What I got is like, it's like a runaway train. It's like, man, I don't know what I'm doing, but I've got this much time to fill up and I'm just yeah. going to let my fingers just, you know, go where they go and get to the end of it and then move on to the next phrase. Which is so disappointing because his stuff in the 70s was was his solo spotlight was way yeah. more engaging in the 70s. And yeah. this just sounds like he's and just throwing it, his fingers all over the neck for the most part. He he was it, it's actually I think I think that's also on on Master of Reality, he does that a lot. I don't think he has any some of the solos don't have a direction. And in their double or tri even triple tracked, I think they're at the very least they're, they're double tracked most of the time. And it, it took him a while to get to the point. And I think it was probably, I think the turning point was, was probably Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, where he starts to get more in control of the solo, starts to phrase them and, and, you know, work them into the song as part of the song. 
and and that's when he really turns a corner. Maybe it's volume four. I think volume four is where it begins, and it really it it, it achieves liftoff on Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and works all the way through until Never Say Die. That, but for me, and you know, I'm a fan of Technical Ecstasy. I think anybody who listens to the podcast knows that I'm a fan of Technical Ecstasy. But I think that album has some of Tony's best solos, and and and. Never Say Die has a lot of really good solos too. It's almost like he is regressing and going backwards. And I don't know, maybe it's the drugs, but uh, there's so much more he could have done in that spot. And it just sounds really rushed. And and Yeah, and you know what, in in the era now, we're sitting here in the 80s. And I do remember thinking like, you know, we're hearing guys like Randy Rhodes and, you know, some of the other, Eddie Van Halen and some of these other more technical guitar players, and maybe he's trying yeah, to keep sure. up, keep up with that. But yeah, it does kind of come across as real just sloppy and messy. Yeah. And, and then the partial sign of the Southern Cross, not yeah, it's, the it's gonna get, song is weird. It, it's very uh, yeah, it's very unceremonious, like you described. Um, if there was more of like you could hear the audience, and there was like maybe a little teaser for a second before he goes into it, and it really you know, vamped into it and, and had some dramatic effect, but it's introduced very unceremoniously, inserted in the middle of heaven and hell. And I'm with you, man. That, that really bothers me. And that's something Ronnie brought over from Rainbow. Yeah. Maybe it was his idea to do that, but, you know, um, on stage, you know, yeah. there's at least a couple songs that he does that. And it's really distracting. Oh. Just, I want to hear the song and move on to the next song, you know, um, because, Ultimately, there's there's a song that's that's inserted in, in in the other song that's cut short, and here it's on "Sign of the Southern Cross," and it's such a "Sign of the Southern Southern Cross" is such a highlight on Mob Rules, man. It it doesn't deserve to be edited. I mean that yeah that should be in an, in, it's yeah, full big length. spotlight that should add its own yeah. thing a big spotlight. It could have been really the way this 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 could have ended was. They could have either done Sign of the Southern Cross in its entirety and then Heaven and Hell and ended the show with that. Then Paranoid and Children in the Grave are your encores or yeah. could have, that that's probably what Much it would better. have made, made the most sense. But yeah. here's sort of clipping it like this. It Not only does it affect Sign of the Southern Cross, it affects Heaven and Hell. It affects the flow of heaven and yeah. hell by the time we finally get back to heaven yeah. and hell i don't know how much time has elapsed but between the solo and sign of the southern cross it's probably like freaking 10 minutes of of music and it's kind of like dan you, you're coming back in for this little bit of heaven and hell and it's just like why yeah, just, i didn't like it then i i don't like it any i don't like it anymore anymore now it hasn't grown on me or anything it's no. something i never liked when Dio did that with his bands, I, I, I don't like it. I don't like it here. It's sort of, you know, it, it's my... also, yeah. I mean, and it's also the way that the album, I mean, maybe on CD, it, it's not as bad. Uh, I, you know, I typically don't listen to things on CD and I haven't in a long time. So listening to it on vinyl on record, the original format that I first listened to it when I, when I first heard it, uh, heaven and hell in its edited form ends side three and then side four begins with sign of the southern cross and then we come back to the to the ending of heaven and hell but it's it's broken up by the different side i mean if it if it could if so maybe mob rules should have been on the end of side two 
you know, maybe we could have, I don't know, rearranged the song sequence in some way or another so that Mob Rules was in a different position. So we start side three with Heaven and Hell. And on that entire album side, we have that uh, Mob Rules, Sign of the Southern Cross, and then the conclusion to Heaven and Hell on one album side. The fact that it's split between side three and four makes it even worse. You know, because then you flip the album over, you, you figure that at the end of side three, heaven and hell's over, and it seems a little abrupt, but no, okay, well, I guess that's what they decided to do. Listen to side four, begins with sign of the Southern Cross, you're getting into that, and all of a sudden that's edited, and then, well, wait a minute, here comes heaven and hell again. Oh, that's right, they didn't finish it. Okay, well, now they're finishing it on side four. It's just weird. I, I don't like that. So that was Ronnie's idea. That was it's a bad idea. And he continued to do that because he would do it on the Dio live albums too. Like yeah. when it was only, it wouldn't, I don't think it would be anything that any of his solo songs, it was mostly when he would do like the rainbow stand on a silver mountain. Yeah, like exactly. In, in, you know, but anyway, here it is. Um, yeah, it's an unfortunate uh, display or it's an unfortunate presentation of, of those two great songs. But, um, Oh, well. All right. And then the album closes out with Paranoid and Children of the Grave. You had mentioned earlier that you really do not care for Ronnie's delivery on Paranoid. I think I'm somewhere in the middle on that. I certainly, it's okay, I guess. Uh, And Children of the Grave, this is a song that, that I do actually, for whatever reason, I think Ronnie works on Children of the Grave for me. It's probably my favorite Ronnie Ozzy. Uh, vocal thing here on Live Evil. And I actually think Children of the Grave sounds pretty heavy here with the, the way the riff kind of comes in and it's, uh, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty good. Um, but unfortunately, it follows Paranoid. And, and I'm so, <laughs> even to this day, I mean, when I, when I hear Paranoid, I'm like, oh, man. No. So I'm already like, I've already got a bad taste in my mouth from Paranoid. And it's like, it, it's just the way it's, it's almost like he's almost mocking the song, but I know he's not because it doesn't, doesn't exactly sound that way. But when he, when he says that one line, like you will laugh and I will cry. They're like, Oh my God, bad. So I got, I got that still ringing in my ears. And it doesn't matter how good children of the grave is. I'm still, I'm still soured from the, bad version of paranoid and they should have flipped like, it around and made paranoid yeah. last they should have done last. children in a grave before that yeah they just cut it off like i don't even listen then yeah but make it the last song on the album so i don't, I don't really have to listen to it um or yeah or just flip you know children of the grave and then paranoid uh children of the grave though like you said it's not bad at all it, it's pretty good it's one of the better the dio so the dio the ozzy era dio songs that i that i think are fine like I said, NIB, um, Iron Man, it's fine. Children of the Grave. Uh, but Children of the Grave has the unfortunate uh, spot of being after Paranoid, which is a fail for me. I do like that little guitar thing that Iomi plays right before Children of the Grave. Yeah, and Vinny's doing a little drum roll behind him. And yeah, it's uh, 
it is what it is by the, by the time you get by the time you get there i mean i again i i like ronnie on children of the grave yeah. paranoid is it, it is what it is and and then the album takes it out on some recorded tape of uh fluff which is kind of strange to put that on weird on the live record because again it never felt like very much like a live record maybe if there was like a lot of yeah crowd noise here and it faded out with a ton of crowd noise and fluff playing in the background it would make some kind of sense but uh i, I kind of envy people that get very excited about this album there, there are things about the album that that are, are exciting like we said <clears throat> you know children of the sea is great i mean um you signed the southern cross sounds cool for the the amount of time that it's on here uh voodoo the highlights you know like we said children of the sea and voodoo um you know there are things to get excited about i think the presentation of the album the 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 artwork is really cool i've, I've got a promo poster of this in my in my bedroom the 24 by 24 cover with the uh specially priced two record set I, I love the album cover more than I love the album, but I mean, I, opening it up, I mean, it does what a live album should from the eighties and seventies or the eighties, you know, you open it up and you got pictures and things like that. Something like list, look at while you're listening, but where it succeeds, it, it fails equally. And, and that's kind of like, and we've on all the podcasts that we've done so far, we've never given the album a final score, but I'm going to give this album a final score. I'm going to say, man, this is a six and a half out of 10. Yeah. It's a real mixed bag. It's a real mixed bag. And as a kid, I probably would have given it an 8.5 out of 10 it's 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 lost some of its shine as over the years so for me it's i'd probably give it the same like a six a six out of ten maybe if on a, on a good day maybe a seven seven out of ten and what would really hurts it of course is again and we've brought this up a whole bunch of times the live recordings that have come out since then yeah. the hammersmith show especially just makes you think like man if they had just released this Hammersmith show instead, it will be a completely different thing. Uh, even the Portland show shines a different light on the way this, you know, this, this band was. So it's just an unfortunate thing. The, the mix, the, the mood of the whole thing and some of the sequencing and some of the decisions. Uh, yeah. There's, there's some bad busy. decision. Yeah. There's some bad decision-making involved in this album and, and i understand that and it's been explained in interviews tony had said that you know um when they were on tour for mob rules they had some pyrotechnics and things and sometimes you know that would not work according to plan and that would affect the performance or it would be too loud and it would it, it just wasn't executed properly and sometimes that would kill an otherwise really good performance um and so they would record a lot of shows and then they'd listen to things and they'd take the best takes of certain songs and they'd compile them on an album, um, which is one of the fundamental differences between listening to something like this that is put out by a record label and something that people uh, trade through the bootleg, you know, circuit where it's a complete show and then you get it, you know, warts and all. And then you, you do discover some of those like, Wow, this is such a great version. There's a, there's a really great version of uh, Mob Rules on uh, 
San Antonio, 1981, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and it feels and like then, a missed opportunity. Like we talked about this, that Sabbath never had a proper live album during the Ozzy years. So that was a missed opportunity. A great live album right around Sabotage would have just been, it would have gone down that that Asbury Park show cleaned up and maybe mixed in with a few other shows from that era. Would have gone down as one of the greats of the 70s. You would have been talking about that alongside Made in Japan and Unleashed yeah, in the East. And sure. uh, unfortunately, that doesn't happen. Then the Dio era, instead of get, getting a, a proper you know, live album, we get a good live album, but it's has some warts on it has some issues with it the band never really promotes you know Dio leaves the band or is fired however you want to put it and the band never really stands behind live evil so it always felt like you never really got a proper live Black Sabbath album I know that as time wore on you got past lives and the end and uh, the end of the beginning or whatever these other thing reunion you know maybe reunion is the only real proper official you know live sabbath album but it just felt like in the day when it was happening again it was a missed it was a missed opportunity which you, is a shame you know what i would say reunion is a good example of of a, of a well done live album but unfortunately when you're when you're sabbath fans like we are you know i i love the Dio era um, I, I won't say that I love it as much as the Ozzy era because, well, for one thing, there's only three albums, four if you, if you count Heaven and Hell um, versus eight of the Ozzy era. And, you know, I mean, there's like legendary songs from the Ozzy era, but uh, I love the Dio era. And, you know, Reunion is doesn't have any of that great, those great songs yeah. that I, I, I love, you know, I, I love hearing voodoo i love hearing children of the sea i love hearing heaven and hell i love hearing neon nights none of that's on reunion what we do get is the greatest hits of all the songs we've heard you know over and over and over again and they're, they're done well um yeah i'm gonna say that as far as a sabbath live album what i really enjoy listening to is cross purposes live with tony yeah. martin each you know he does the ozzy era really well i love the selections from uh, his era that he does, you know, it, it's it, it's while they're yeah. on tour for cross purposes is an album, Tony Martin album that I love. And he does the uh, does the deal era really well. I mean, to me, that's a well-rounded Black Sabbath live album. Yeah, you're getting a bunch of different things from that. And yeah, you're you're getting all the eras. You're you're getting, you know, all of the, the best of Black Sabbath, you know. And uh, so when you have Ozzy, Ozzy's obviously not going to sing any Dio songs. I mean, that would I, I'd like to hear it. I mean, it would be interesting to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it'd be very good, uh, <laughs> but it would be interesting to hear that. Uh, maybe. But uh, obviously we know what, what Dio sounds like singing the Ozzy era. And, and I think for me anyway, it's, it's, it's not very good. Uh, and that's unfortunate. So the only singer that they've really had that can do justice to not only, you know, the albums that they're on, but to the other eras involved with the band is Tony Martin. And uh, Cross Purposes Live, I think, is probably, if you want to get technical, probably the ultimate Black Sabbath live album. <laughs> 
And we will be getting to the Tony Martin era. So we are working our way towards yeah. that. So, all right. Well, you got any final words here on, on live evil? No, I think we covered just about everything. Um, yeah, I think we've, we've gone from one end of this to the other. Yeah. I mean, for me, I would say it's a, it's a document of a time. It's, it's a, a little bit of a, you know, maybe it, it's not everything it could have been, but as much as it may sound like we were coming down or I was coming down hard on certain aspects of this album, the, the 12, 13 year old me did really enjoy it. And it was my first black live black Sabbath album, my first time hearing black Sabbath live. So there is something to that. And there are some, you know, re revisiting this record did, did bring some, uh, bring me back to some memories sitting in my teenage bedroom and, and stuff like that. So, yeah. All right. Uh, well, that does it here for us, uh, me and Darren here in uh, live evil. Uh, head on over to uh, the Into the Void of Black Sabbath podcast Facebook page. You can let us know what you think of this, this album there. And we appreciate everyone for listening in on our episodes. We are, well, I'm not sure what's next on our list because we're going in chronological wow. order here. So we, I, you know, I think we're going to do some Dio albums here, right? We're going to talk oh, yeah. about Dio yeah. solo. So now we've got We've got other things coming into play now. We've got Dio going solo. Ozzy's now you know, going on to his third album. We're getting into a very interesting time with Black Sabbath, where we're going to have a lot of turnover in the uh, in the lineups and stuff like that. So, so we've yeah. got a lot of fun stuff coming up. You can look forward to hearing us talk about the, the Dio solo albums. We're going to still talk about the Ozzy solo records. And of course... We're going to be talking about the Black Sabbath album. So you're just going to have to wait in exciting anticipation to see what the next episode will be. Or you can sit down and you can figure it out yourself. Whatever came out, whatever album came out next first there in the timeline, we will be covering. Born again. Born again. All right. Okay. So thanks to everybody again out there. And uh, we will see you again soon.